The grace notes are what you remember about any experience, a person that you've met. The things that we love about the people we love or a moment in a novel or in a movie. That's a grace note that tells you something profound about the human experience. We all have such things, and they're much more important than the larger events. When Ellen Burstyn walks home from the movie within the movie that she's shooting, you see two nuns walking, and their wind just takes their habits and blows them in kind of slow motion. And she notices that moment. She notices some children running by in Halloween costume, which is a kind of quiet precursor to what's to come. Children in disguise. There's nothing in those scenes that move the film one inch forward, but they are grace notes that I tried to add to the whole experience. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, but you know, I politely offered him some new pod theme music and he said he hated it and stormed off. I don't know. I didn't think it was that bad. I don't know. We'll find out. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be back. He'll, you know, get that bee out of his bonnet. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back to the show and back to a patron voted series. That's right. This series and almost all the series we're doing this year are voted on by our patrons. Join them and you too can vote on what films we cover. This is the second of a new series covering horror themed documentaries titled Doc, you scared? <laughs> Last week, we all turned on the lights for Rodney Asher's terrifying The Nightmare. This week, we'll be covering what I didn't know was a documentary, but that, that of the Steve Martin starring comedy Leap of Faith. Wait a minute. I'm being told by a producer that the actual film being covered is Leap of Faith William Friedkin on The Exorcist. Well, I hope Reed and our guest came prepared. That said, additionally, we will be tracking a TV guidepost in this series of episodes of the Shudder original show, Cursed Films. 
And you can find that segment only by being a patron. But before I get ahead of myself, permit me to welcome back to the show a particular friend of the fog, the Yaskier to my Geralt, and reads Yennefer? <laughs> you get the reference, friends and foggers. It's Andrew Nelson! Welcome back, Andrew! Hello! Welcome! Good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Uh, it's an exciting day. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're here. Yeah. Uh, I'm bummed we're not uh, covering the Pixar uh, animated film, The Shrexorcist. The, the Shrexorcist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, <laughs> that's what you I got to be careful with how you say that. It's a very different film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Hey. No, no. Hey, oh. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Andrew, <laughs> real quick. I need you yes. to work on some new music because Reed hated mine. Um, while I remind <laughs> listeners they hear at the fear of God, we explore, we don't explain. Except for right now, when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at the fear of God podcast.com. Don't stumble over that one. Things like how to support us on Patreon, as well as essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise. <laughs> Read like hey, hey, Read. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Nobody expects in, the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> hey, buddy. Oh, man. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm all right. I'm a little hurt that you were so down on my tunes, but we've got a we got an actual, you know, actual songwriter here, and uh, I figured you have you have many, many, many talents. Um, hmm. near the, what? How's near, how's this going to end? I mean, it's not it's not not on the list. Your your musical prowess. Um, hmm. I would I wouldn't put it as peak, but well, it's it's you know it um it's uh, yeah you're well I like. Like like Bono says, I can sing, but I ain't. Oh, wait, no, I can't sing, but I got soul. You know that's, what's funny is about this. And by the way, Reed Andrew uh, is here, hey, uh, but um, this is Hello. more important than that. Um, you wow. know what's really funny is my children, speci uh, specifically the five year old, my oldest, are a little old enough to pick up on this. I will make songs out of quite everything, right? You know, it's like oh, I'm the, aware the. The five-year-old is like, uh, you know, let's like if she wants to listen to music that I don't really want to listen to, I'll just start singing something stupid, and then she'll be like, "Is that a real song or a daddy song?" I was like, "Well, that was a daddy song, but now it's a real song, so both, you know." <laughs> wow, wow, indeed, yeah. indeed. Yeah. So uh, Andrew's here. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Good to see you, sir. Thank Andrew, you. it's good to see you and. I have to applaud you. We will get to this uh, momentarily, but uh, I just thank you very, very much for giving me an excuse one more time on the show to talk about The Exorcist in a full conversation. <laughs> you seen uh, it? that I didn't that I didn't have to. Yeah, yeah, uh, that I didn't have to. Uh, you know, that I didn't have to coerce myself. So, uh, so just uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate it very, very much. But uh, it's like it's like reads like that one friend you have who has the hobby horse, and you just hope no one asks about The Exorcist. You know, it's like it's like in a in a social setting. <laughs> Is anybody? I just saw this movie, The Exorcist. Where most scary movie of all time. Everybody's like, like no. no, no. <laughs> Dude, we don't movies. talk about the exorcist. Yeah, Reed just like <laughs> taps the microphone. <laughs> well, Everybody's like, please. Since it's, you it's asked. It's like the thing when he goes into interviews 
on on the TV show. They're like, and, and the producers talking beforehand, like, we don't talk about that one. Yeah, like, no, 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 no. It's not his no list. Yeah, <laughs> we don't talk about the Exorcist. <laughs> uh, no, but. no, no. Um, it is. I, I do. I do feel compelled to. You know, like I don't know what this conversation holds for us, um, oh. but I. Okay. You know, we'll, we'll we'll lean whichever way it it, it tilts us. But mm. last mm. time Andrew was here was quite the emotional journey, and um, mm, indeed, you know, I don't know if we're gonna. Be, it's like in Jerry Maguire, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. goes on the that one sports show. I don't know ESPN <laughs> shows, but you know, it's like the one show every athlete went on and they would cry. Like that's a thing. That was a thing for this show. <laughs> mm. Like it's when mm-hmm. Andrew comes mm-hmm. on, it's a bunch of middle aged dudes talk. just crying. We're gonna cry. Well, I don't want to speak for Andrew. I'm I'm middle aged, frankly, these days, which is that'll make me cry <laughs> enough. But you know, anyway, wow. welcome back to the show, Andrew. <laughs> Never in my 22 years. <laughs> right, right. Of course, of course. <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. So we have some things to get to. We're gonna get to them uh, forthwith, but a little bit of business time. Um, so my primary bit of business is uh, actually featuring our special guest, uh, listeners. I don't know if you normally listen to the end credits on our show. I know on a lot of podcasts, it'd be like, oh, the end credits, they're, they're done. Every once in a while, we'll throw a fun blooper on the end or we'll throw some fun announcement or a, you know, deleted scene or something on the end of there. So, you know, you should listen. But especially, I want to specifically call out, listen to after the credits of this episode that you're listening to because we have an Andrew Nelson exclusive piece of music and it is beautiful and lovely and he's also uh as you're listening to this it might not be posted but shortly it will be posted um also some writing thoughts that he has uh, about this song that he has written um but it's a special exclusive song at the end of the episode so do stay tuned after the credits uh for a lovely and very special tune by our mr andrew nelson thank you think for sharing it, that with us andrew yeah Rogers. think of it as an as, an, as a post credit sequence yes People- you guys would know. You know, we sit, we sit in the theater yeah, for we hours, fifteen minutes of. That's <laughs> right. All those names. All those. What's names. worse <laughs> is when they're just lame. You're like, really, really? <laughs> I sat here that long for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. But that's there's not the actually, case this time. There's no. actually a sound engineer in Hollywood who has won Academy Awards named Andrew Nelson. I like a real, a real guy. Like wow. not me. And, oh, don't be humble, um, Andrew. You no, should just I, tell people it's you. Can, you can I, own it. I, I, oh, <laughs> 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 okay, set myself up for which, the accolade. Which leads me, me. Uh, <laughs> to my next point. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> for yes. business time. What? Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, stay tuned until after the show for a yeah. uh, hot off sequence. the presses. Pootie Dunn mm-hmm. did it again. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. Track from Andrew Nelson. Write a review. You, you know. You've been with us a minute. You've been with us a long time. Write a review over on the old Eye to the Tunes. And you know what? Join Patreon. Because when you join Patreon, you get special segments. Like this current series' TV guidepost where we are discussing episodes of the Shudder original film, uh, Shudder original TV series, mm-hmm. Cursed Films. This one's, a do- this one's a doozy, folks. Doozy, folks. <laughs> doozy, folks. <laughs> to the patron mobile. Now about this movie, 
it's important to note. Mm-hmm. I feel the uh, uh, PSA coming on here, which is to say, um, whether you're a patron or not, if you're worried about the cursed films conversations uh, and having seen the movies in question or not, I have been surprised to notice, at least on the one we just discussed, I I didn't feel like I was missing anything by not having mm. seen the source film that they were uh, discussing because they did a really good job of filling you in on what you needed while also painting an interesting picture of the real world experience of the making of it. So that's not what we're talking about in in the main today though, boys. No, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. So, um, Andrew, what are we talking about today? We got (laughs) the Steve Martin comedy from the early (laughs) nineties. Um, I've seen that movie, by the way. It's, not a good movie, <laughs> no, but it's um, not. the uh, so so I had reached out to you. Uh, just peek behind the curtain, everybody. I had reached out to you um, because I knew your uh, that you had worked on documentary material before, um, and 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 actually had helped uh, both score them and I think edit them as well. Like you've mm-hmm. you've basically been aspect of many uh, many parts of production along the way. And I was mm-hmm. very curious to hear your perspective, but also wanted to give you the opportunity because we wanted to have you on for this series to select a film. And I know you went through a list of things that were like, oh, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. So I'm about to give you the floor and just say, you know, uh, in addition to thank you, what made you land on Leap of Faith as what we wanted to talk hmm. about today? You're welcome. <laughs> um, it was, uh, well, I, uh, I will say The Exorcist was actually the first horror movie I ever saw. Ah, nice. It was rough. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Just I, starting at the deep end. <laughs> I, I did. I remember I, I was reading a book and they, they kind of discussing it a little bit. And I kind of was like, I remember preparing for it. And I, I, I wasn't really into horror movies. And Give us I some context. Kinda, How recent was this? Like This was, this would have been about, so I, it, there was a music festival called Ichthus. Have you heard of this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard of so it. Yeah. It was, it was, this would have been 2006, maybe. Sure. That sounds mm-hmm. right. Does that sound okay. correct? Um, ish. And it was in Kentucky and I went there with a church and I bought a book and it was called How Movies Help Save My Soul. I was probably uh, selling t-shirts at that summer tour for uh, at a booth. That's, yep. I said hi. That's know. 2007, actually. Somewhere wow. <laughs> well, wow. One of those. Yeah, well, I, I, and there was a lot of mud. It was, it was like yep. the, and it was described as the Christian Woodstock, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, wow. I bought a book and I met, oh God, I, I met Stephen Baldwin, one of the Baldwin <laughs> brothers who's, who I who I wish I and, sorry and, I didn't mean to have quite so no, strong no, this, a reaction. No, this is so funny. So he he's it's he's he's bonkers. Bat I I sure. I'd say other words right now. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's insane. <laughs> Read um, He's he's bat <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and he uh, he's very uh, he's QN and all that stuff right now. I oh think. yeah, yeah. Um, but when I met him, he was kind of on like a <laughs> he was on he was trying to like clean up his image because he was just kind of getting over he was in a lot of raunchy movies in the 90s and he was he was trying to turn over a new leaf as a christian speaker and i go up to him and i'm like hey weren't you in biodome and he was like yeah yeah and then i was (laughs) and he was so embarrassed (laughs) that that was what i was recognizing him from because that was a Polly shore (laughs) movie he was in with the 90s i think it's his finest work (laughs) it's terrible but uh, to this day to this day. 
<laughs> yes. And so, um, anyways, yeah. Uh, so, so that was Ichthus, uh, and, and I bought a book there called "How Movies Help Save My Soul" by a guy named Gareth Higgins, and uh, I, I flipped through it, uh, and and one of the movies in there was The Exorcist, and mm. they talked. It, it talked about. Uh, the, the spiritual value of it. I thought, this is so bizarre. How could this movie have spiritual value? And at that time, I was very, uh, I was very interested in what would bring me the spiritual value, mm-hmm. uh, in every, in every aspect of my life. Uh, and, uh, I, I was very, very cautious about what I watched. And I remember I, I kind of prepared for it. I was like, I was like, I was, I, I kind of went to my parents and I was like, mom, dad, and I watched The Exorcist. <laughs> and it was like a conversation. Mm. And, I, and, and they were like, are you sure about this? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And <laughs> and so, like, I remember I, like, it was just like a big just deal. Just don't tell the neighbors, Andrew. Just don't tell the neighbors. Don't tell people. <laughs> don't I don't tell know, people they, at they, the church. Exactly. So, I, but I, but I, I remember I told them and they were, they were okay. They, they were fine with it. It was just, I, I just remember, I think my mom said, Why? <laughs> She said, and I was like, because I read this book and, and it said there's spiritual value to it. So, um, but anyways, I remember I watched it and it, it was scary. <laughs> and that's, that's the rumor. That's the rumor. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long winded way to get to that. <laughs> and, and it was and, scary. <laughs> and, I thought, and I thought, huh. And then um, uh, fast forward a little ways. I, I remember ca- my, my exorcist journey. Uh, was I, I was Catholic at one point, and I remember a pri- I, heard, I, I remember I heard a priest say that movie. Somehow it came up in conversation, and he said that movie has demons in the reels of it. There's there's literal mm. there's little literal evil in the reel of it, and he was telling this story about how he and some friends in college had gotten a hold of a reel and burned it, and I was <laughs> like I was like whoa you've got some. And, and and all the people, all the people in our little group were, like, and I, I was kind of like interesting. And all the people in the group were like, "Whoa, that's so bad! Like you're so cool, man! Like yeah. you're such a cool priest. That's that you were fighting the fighting the demons or whatever." And he he was kind of a sensationalized priest at our parish or whatever. It was kind of weird, but but I remember him. He would he would tell that as kind of like a cool story. Like yeah, we we got a hold burned. of the reel and we burned it. Wow! <laughs> and so I remember reel. that, and, and and I just it's a fascinating movie. I, it's gotten to a point where I, I think it's more. I think as I'm getting older, I'm getting more uh, sensitive to violence in movies, and I'm very mm. thankful for that. I think. Um, I, I, I don't like. I put it this way. I, I don't like violence in general. I don't like. Uh, I can't do gore like gore for gore's sake. If that makes sure. sense. Like, sure. Sure. Can't do that. Um, the there's like the myth of redemptive violence type stuff that that kind of is like, hey, this is cool. I'm like, no, it's not cool. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. Um, and so I, I'm a lot more sensitive to that sort of stuff. Um, but I think uh, the Exorcist is just an interesting movie, and I think the leap of faith. Uh, it was a while. I don't know how. I don't remember how quite how it came but I remember I, I watched it um, before before the podcast um i'd seen mm. it like two times i think um because i thought it was really i really connected with it just because i thought it was so fascinating having like this 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 thoughtful meditative mind behind this kind of 
he calls it he calls it himself a chamber piece like mm-hmm. uh, this thoughtful meditative mind behind this film where i mean we can go into this later for sure but like some of the shots are composed after paintings and it's yeah. like mm-hmm. we have movies today that like are just chaos on green screens or whatever and like he just he literally they show some shots in the movie that, and, and he talks about the lighting even where it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I lighted this based on this painting. And I'm like, what? How do you even, <laughs> how do you even do that? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> like, that's just so beautiful. And so it's just it, very compelling. The, the amount of thoughtfulness that went into this and, and that all that. So that, I, um, for what, for what, uh, ever interest is still, uh, that is evoking in anybody right now. Well, <laughs> those are my thoughts. I'm going to interrupt before Reed can, yeah. cause he'll never shut up. But, um, the <laughs> fair point, <laughs> I'm going to bide my time to, to your point. Just keep talking, Andrew. Um, uh, <laughs> but to your point, Andrew, it's funny. I had the thought watching this cause I had not seen it and I'll preempt Reed's, uh, um, you know, customary inquiry over my take and, and to say that I thoroughly enjoyed it and it, it kind of, uh, prompted me, I haven't done it, but prompted me to reconsider The Exorcist, the film. Uh, not because I don't like The Exorcist, the film. I just, I certainly haven't considered it uh, in the same way that my compatriot Reed does. Uh, however, I will, I will say I did the homework of re-listening to the Fear of God episode on The Exorcist today. Um, <laughs> but it was funny, to your point, Andrew, watching Leap of Faith, <clears throat> I think we take for granted sometimes... I'm not actually about to get high minded because I don't know how quite to do that in, in terms of art form and whatnot. But I think we forget at least the capacity, right. For Mm. the form of cinema to be art and artful. Mm. And so in that, in that strain of thought, I watched this and now don't get me wrong. Like there's probably a way we shouldn't take literally everything Friedkin says at face value. You know, he is a personality unto himself like any artist is, but you're like, man, this is a master of the form Mm -hmm. discussing Mm -hmm. one of its finest offerings ever. Like, like Mm -hmm. that is literally what the documentary is. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, it would be frustrating because people who would outright just dismiss horror as a genre aren't going to really take The Exorcist seriously. But even though it's not like a, a, a number one for me or even a number 10 for me, I still mm-hmm. respect it. And you still can't help but be compelled by the thoughtfulness, using your word, Andrew, of how considered the elements are. And just mm-hmm. I was telling Reed uh, after watching it, you know, y'all with me right now, those listening can vouch that I bring this up a lot. I'm just fascinated by the creative process and how people get from zero to product and product is a bad word, but you know what I'm saying from art, you know, and just hearing someone discuss those decisions is just really fascinating. And, um, I'm not going to lie and say I made it through one viewing, not falling asleep, but I did enjoy it with each sitting (laughs) that it took to, (laughs) to consume. Sure. Sure. I think, the way that he, like, I, I was thinking of the way that he scored it, for example, like where he sat with records yeah. and he's just mm-hmm. listening to mm-hmm. records mm-hmm. and every detail that went into getting the product that he had, this movie could not have been made today. I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think the same film could have been made because he, he, he slapped the priest <laughs> to, oh, sure. yeah, to, of course. to, to, to yeah. get, you know, and, and I'm not saying, 
he 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 they trusted and loved whatever. I, I don't I don't know the them. I don't know <laughs> what their deal was, but but he he did it to get a shot out of him that he knew he could get. Oh, and 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 there you know, there's a lot of unethical things that went into making this. I would I mm-hmm. would argue. Um, yeah. However, they did it, and I think in the mix of the unethical stuff, there's a lot of eth- there's a lot of beautiful beautiful things that went into it, and mm-hmm. I I think um, can I can I share a little bit of how I experienced this as someone who makes things? Is that okay? Yes. Oh, so quick yeah, quick pause, and mm-hmm. then literally I'm going to pivot back to you yeah, for yeah. listeners who may not have seen this. What leap of faith is? is literally an hour and 40-some-odd minutes of an interview with William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, as he is sharing stories about how the film came to be made. And so for anybody who might be like, wait a second, what is Leap of Faith? Did they watch The Exorcist? Did they whatever? I just wanted to set the stage for that, that like the documentary we're discussing is called Leap of Faith, and it is literally an hour and 40-some minutes of William Friedkin discussing his memories of making The Exorcist and what went into it and his philosophies around filmmaking and such and everything. So, yes, now back to you, Andrew. Yeah. So, what's been interesting with uh, – so, there's a short film documentary I'm working on with someone here in uh, Michigan. And what we've been doing is there, there's eight sections of it. And each section is seven to ten minutes long-ish. And then I'm scoring each section, and then fi- then we film each section as well. Like each sec, each each section is kind of a voiceover slash them talk talking head, mm-hmm. and then B roll over that talking head, mm-hmm. and then there's music underneath it. And we've been working that for nine months about, and it's been one of the coolest like stretching interesting fascinating projects because we started with just um sitting at a starbucks talking about like this idea like Mm. this didn't exist at the at that time and now we have an hour and 10 minutes of footage that i'm just editing now (laughs) together and so there's eight sections we have seven or six six songs done that are all again like between seven and ten minutes long and that's been a whole process of in itself, just writing the music. And so it's interesting thinking of how William Friedkin is scoring this and thinking of just like being a musician and scoring something myself too. Like, yeah. um, and here and hearing the stories, hearing these stories of his interactions with the people that he hired to score the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, Whoa, like that would be terrible to write a, symphony score and be at the studio and have him be like, I hate it. <laughs> right. And then you never talk yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were like, and, and you can feel in the moment when he says, he said he was one of my best friends and, mm. or we had been friends for a long time and we haven't spoken since Lalo Schifrin. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, and and then he also, rough. there was the composer who worked with, 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 with uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And he said, yeah, and he said he's the great, he's the greatest composer in the world. And he said, what will you do with this film? And the guy said, I think I can save this piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, what do you, and I, I could, I, first I couldn't imagine a composer kind of 
that would be that would be a not fun working relationship with a composer who would talk to you like that about your work. Yes, <laughs> that'd be weird uh, in the first place. But like he said, I think I can save it. And but it was just so interesting hearing those interactions and hearing about like I, I've been trying to figure out how to like learning on the fly how to score things long form has been so interesting mm. because. I don't know, layer, layering tracks over 10 minutes, for example, is so mm. interesting. And all the stuff that goes into scoring something. And so I just think of the guy that, that wrote the whole right. opening scene score that he, that yeah. he, that he fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just yeah. like, oh man, that's <laughs> poor guy. So, so I, I, so what I find interesting, my uncle, uh, his entire vocation, he owns a recording studio. He's a musician, songwriter, and, and that's been his, I mean, that's been his life's vocation is he owns a yeah. recording studio. And I can remember one time, multitude of conversations have taken place over, over the course of the years. And um, I can remember one time he spoke about a drummer that he knew. And he talked about, yeah, this is one of the greatest studio drummers I've ever worked with. And I was probably a teenager. I can't remember. I was young, very young. And I can remember just asking the question, like, why do you think he's the greatest? And I don't know why my uncle's answer has stuck with me over this time, but um, he said, because he knows when not to play. And I remember that really, I don't know why that particular thing stuck out to me, but this perspective was, he was like, he's the greatest studio drummer I've ever worked with because he knows when not to play. And it was fascinating to me in thinking about this, I mean, you've got Bernard Herrmann, who, I mean, he wrote some of the most legendary scores ever, uh, including, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the shower scene from Psycho. Alfred yeah. Hitchcock did not want the shower scene from Psycho to have any music. Bernard mm-hmm. Herrmann said, you need music for this, and it's iconic. I mean, it's legendary, <laughs> you know. And so then he says to Friedkin, you know, I can save this for you, and here's what I'm going to do. And Friedkin, obviously put off by Bernard Herrmann's uh, glib dismissal of the film in its current form, mm-hmm. but then uh, you know, piece after piece, he's just like I, c- I couldn't get away from the mood, the undercurrent, the the tone, and it really did stand out to me of just like, yeah, you you have to know when not to play, you have to know when not to do a thing. There can be so much compulsion to do, do, mm-hmm. do, and you have to know when not to do something. It's just a fascinating exercise. That is space. I, I just think there's so much value to, to space. And I think it may seem simple, but I think, you know, you you go to a, an open mic or a open mics are a great example of this. Like you, you go to open mics where, where they do like an open jam session, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, open jam sessions aren't always fun to listen to <laughs> because, <laughs> because they always end up being like uh, – there's especially the ones where like you get like three, uh, three really old guys who are all just playing and they play for forty <laughs> minutes, and it's like, can we get the next person on the list to go up? Um, or or there's or there's the really awkward open mics where where you have uh, someone playing and someone in the audience just starts playing like along, and it's not even mm-hmm. their set, and wow. they're playing an original song up front. That's bold. I've, I've been there. I've been there where that happens. And they wow. and they just start playing, or they'll start singing, and it's an original song up wow. front. It happens, and it's oh, weird. Man. Space. Can I? Can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I run off for a minute. Yeah. So have it. have it. I want to tell a funny story that may be an inroad to 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 deeper waters, but um, like Shutter hates me. 
I just, I just need it to be said. Like it, it really is not, I like, I, I think I want to embrace it just cause fear of God, but you know, um, I've had some technical difficulties with it on, on its search function. Uh, but specifically so funny <laughs> talking about scores and, 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 uh, you know, music overlays, audio overlays. So I, I queue up leap of faith the other night. I've got my AirPods and I Bluetooth to the Apple TV and y'all know how when you go into Shutter, it it auto starts one of those now showing on Shutter or whatever. You know, like right. it, it starts right, right, something, right. or at least yes. it does for me. Oh yeah, 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 like so, Netflix. Well, no, this is in Shutter, but but same idea. Yeah, yeah, same yeah, idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it'll it'll auto play some TV show mm-hmm. or, or feature or something like yes. that. Well, I, I go into Shutter and I'm going to watch uh, uh, Leap of Faith. Drop into Shutter. It it queues up whatever autoplay then i go over to search i find leap of faith and i start playing it well while leap of faith is starting and i can't remember literally how leap of faith starts but pretty soon there's there's voiceover right from friedkin yeah. yes yeah, yeah. well like right out the gate at the same time while i'm watching it there's this there is some orchestral music and once in a while now remember it's been since we watched it for the fear of God in 2017, since I saw the exorcist and before that was in college, you know, 15 years prior. And so mm-hmm. I don't remember every single thing about the movie, the exorcist and how it plays out, but I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Leap of faith. Okay. It's freaking. He's talking. There's some orchestral. Cause then Spanish speaking starts. I'm like, hmm, that's, that's interesting. I wonder if it's just <laughs> drop-ins. Cause I know uh, Marin is in the middle East at the beginning, which is not Spanish, but it's not English either. And so I guess, I guess there's some, <laughs> So I'm just letting it go. And probably about five <laughs> minutes in, I was like, this, something's not right. Something's not right. And y'all, this happened more than once because I had to watch this movie over uh, multiple sittings. Shutter, it would, my AirPods would pick up the audio of that initial autoplay that happens in Shutter. Mm-hmm. I would then go to search, play Leap of Faith, and their the audio tracks are playing at the same time. And that's oh, what happened the first no. time I watched it. Yeah. I was like, what is going on? Wow. Like I had to wow. I had to hack my way in to oh my shutter to get what I needed for it. <laughs> anyway, so humorous story, but this this conversation about score, about paging Mr. Herman, which I just couldn't <laughs> ignore the, the joke there, uh, and psycho and <laughs> I, I don't totally know where this will go other than maybe nowhere, but maybe somewhere. One thing I found really fascinating and what increased my esteem for the exorcist film uh, again, though I haven't rewatched it and I don't even know that in rewatching it, I would suddenly be like, Oh my God, I love it so much. But freaking talking about metaphor and interpretation mm-hmm. And he basically says, and what I wrote is, because this is very non-traditional for us, so I didn't organize my notes in quite the typical way, but I just wrote love in all caps. The idea of no intended metaphor, just tell the story. And he even says, people have interpreted this all different ways that I have never intended. And so just the idea of the artist of a defining work saying, I didn't mean the things that people are taking out of this. And where I'm going with this is, something I found so powerful. And when we talk, when y'all are talking about score and uh, uh, what works or doesn't work for this particular piece, like I'm going to do such a bad job, just kind of articulating why it was meaningful to me to receive it. The way he was stating it is the word that keeps coming to me is demythologize. Mm. 
And it's so fascinating because you've got Bernard Herman with that opening Middle East score. I think that was him. And then the previous person, or no, that was Lalo, right? Reed was the yeah, second Schiffer. composer. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But Herman with the or- church organs. And this thing, what they're doing in their defense is scoring a movie, right? Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. they're after is, okay, well, this is what we typically do. And I'm really good at that. And so we're going to, I'm going to do that for you. But what are movies when they're especially, you know, in part, at least they are metaphor and they are mythology. Right. Mm. And it really became fascinating to me that his whole intention was I'm not fabricating. I am documenting. And so Mm. when we talk about this, you know, I loved the, the beat in leap of faith where they talk about hiring the filmmaker, the camera operator who filmed Castro and the, the ways of shooting particular things. And I don't know. I don't know. Again, I feel like I'm, I'm stumbling my efforts to kind of applaud what I found really fascinating and lovely about it because to hear him say, I wasn't making a horror movie. This is where I'm like, well, you know, I know what you are saying and, you know, kind of maybe re-narrating a little bit. It is ultimately a horror movie, but what he's effectively saying is I wasn't after horror trope styling convention, right? I was after (laughs) how, might it be possible to put on film a fictional story that is that is bereft of mythologizing mm-hmm. um and that is a really fascinating exercise because Reed, is it okay if i pivot into my question i posed for y'all or would you rather yeah. hold that for yeah, later yeah, yeah. because no, what no, i found good. so lovely can i say one thing about you what can. you were just saying real quick i'm sorry please real do quick. that's okay it's about the uh, the, the documentary part of it is with, so they hired the, the, the guy who had filmed Fidel Castro and he was saying they, they filmed everything and most, most of the shots in one shot, which is really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that just adds, I just was, I was really struck by that part where he said, like, if we can get it in one shot, I do, we did it in one shot. Mm-hmm. And then, and he was like, you know, mm-hmm. did, did, did you ask Fidel Castro to, yeah. To, to redo that, to redo that. <laughs> right. And so I just think that really what you're, what you're getting at with the documenting something, I mean, it, 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 it makes it a little more documentary. And if you, if you think about that, he did do it. Mo- I mean, mm-hmm. for, I mean, obviously there was, there was a lot of staging and a lot of things like that, but all the, sure. and all the planning and everything, but like, you know, doing it in one shot was just kind of what he was after, I think. And so, mm-hmm. but yeah, go ahead. Well, but what I can't get away and, and, and what, you know, is just kind of swirling around to me, this germ of life itself has a richness. Mm-hmm. And while the, the, the on-screen elements of the film, the exorcist are aggressive by the time it is all taking place. I mean, it's aggressive, Mm -hmm. it's repulsive. It's all of these things. There is still like, I I fell in love and I, I haven't been able to get out of my head and spirit. It's like right in the middle of the movie. So it's not even of the documentary. So it's not even like intended as this, 
Although, I mean, it does circle back around by the end. So, so I'll pat myself on the back for detecting that thematic note, but Freakin talks about grace notes and, and I'll get to how he defines it in a moment, but he identifies a couple of shots in the film. He references some other movie. I don't remember which one it was, but he says this, this director, these are the grace notes in that movie. And mm-hmm. in my movie and the exorcist, the grace notes, and he identifies at least two. the only one I can remember specifically is the nuns and their, their habits and the blowing kids, in the wind, the kids okay. with their Halloween masks. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he defines it in the film just arrested me and how he defined grace notes is the moments we love about the people we love. Mm-hmm. And this is my commentary was what, what, what has stayed with me as I meditated on this and why the, the demythologizing the documentarian approach I find so fascinating in this instance, at least is finding moments that in themselves are insignificant, but for the fact that the moment happens at all, which loads them with meaning. Mm. Right? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. you say that again. Moments that in themselves are insignificant, except for the fact that the moment happened at all, which thus loads it with meaning. Mm. Mm. In other words, life is rich enough and it doesn't need church organs and cacophonous orchestral backing to land that. And I think that's just a really fascinating approach. And I, and you know, I, I gave you all a heads up on this because I've been pondering it and it took me some scratching head scratching and, and spirit searching to sort of find it, which sucks in, 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 in its own right. Uh, the question I posed to you guys and we'll walk into was, you know, where have you seen grace notes in your own life recently or not mm-hmm. even recently, but why I kind of, it, it took me a while to ask that to you guys because it took me a while to find it myself, which became this depressive cycle, right? <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm not paying attention to my life. Like that's sort of what happened since I watched that and have been pondering that, but I will, I'll, I'll, if it's okay, lead, uh, in my own answer here, sure. because I was really searching and it's one, you know, I actually think just because of our interactions on social media, both of you are familiar with, but a week ago, uh, so, so remember what is the guiding principle here? Moments that in themselves are insignificant, except that the moment itself is happening at all which by virtue of it happening creates meaning. We, my family for the end of the school year, we went to Atlanta where we have some extended family and we went to the Georgia aquarium, which I'd never been to. And just FYI, if you ever have a chance to go to the Georgia aquarium, whether you're five years old or, you know, 85 years old, it's a heck of a, an experience. It is one of the largest of its kind on the globe but they have this room. So, so picture like a, an actual aquarium, right? Like, you know, uh, at the house, we've got an aquarium. So that, but it's IMAX size times two, right? So it's a room with stadium seating, but the screen isn't a screen. It's a giant aquarium in which is, you know, just a whale shark, um, 16 foot manta rays. Mm -hmm. The 
the partition between you and the, I think it was 6 million gallons of water and who knows how many pounds of fish. Wow. Is two feet of plexiglass. That's how thick the distance is between where you're sitting. And y'all, our five-year-old has been on a kick for quite some time. The reason we went to the aquarium at all was she loves this Netflix little kid series, the Octonauts. And it's a really cute show, but it's all about micro uh, or marine biology and all this kind of stuff, sea, sea creatures. And so she just loves sea creatures. Uh, you know, uh, she, she can name them up and down. It's just wild. In fact, as a funny aside, one of my kids was like, look at the baby eel. And the five-year-old was like, that's not a baby eel. That's a garden eel. Like totally got <laughs> on to the adult, uh, older kid for getting it wrong. And I had this photo both in my mind and in the real of this, I think it's like 30 feet wide, maybe 20 feet tall, maybe more giant aquarium screen, not screen. And this five-year-old in front of it. Mm -hmm. And I can attest that this was a grace note, not because I knew it or planned for it, but because one of my kids seeing me on just, just sitting on the stadium seating and watching it's quiet. My five-year-old who has no idea the, the magnitude of what she's literally next to just knows, Oh, I recognize these creatures. And it's kind of, dancing around at the foot of this giant plexiglass. One of my yeah, other kids wow. says, you're really like in this, aren't you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I really am. I'm really deep in this moment and, and could kind of hang here for hours where I permitted mm. to. And it was just this. So when I think grace note, when I think how, at least my interpretation of Friedkin's definition is it's just a kid walking in front of some fish, right? <laughs> That's the insignificance. That's just, ah, it's just on paper. That's the thing. But watching it take place, taking, soaking it in, it was grace manifest. It was the greatest, most Herculean creatures on the planet behind two feet of plexiglass, mind you. Yeah. Juxtaposed yeah. with a little... I don't know how tall my kid is exactly, but what three feet tall body <laughs> sure. in the foreground. And, and it just, I don't know. It's, it's an, it's an image, uh, that's really stayed with me. It's, it's, you know, it, it, uh, I don't know. It's just really kind of mm. been one of those lasting moments that, uh, um, when, when I thought of the question, where have you seen a grace note in your life lately? This was, this was what kind of came to me. So, mm. so yeah, I, I don't know if anyone, you know, defaulted on the answer or wants to answer or has any thoughts. Andrew, you go ahead. I've got one, but I'll close it off. Andrew, go ahead. That's really beautiful. Um, seriously, that was, I, that's cool. Uh, I have two, I have two, two brief ones. Um, one is, uh, one, the really brief one is just, uh, how I understood the grace notes was, um, I, th I think he said this too as, as a way to describe it is th the things that don't move the plot forward at all, mm. but they're just yeah. there. Yeah. I, th I thought that was really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, there's one thing um, sometimes in the morning, my wife will go out the back door of our house and say, good morning, birds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's my favorite part of the day. <laughs> it's mm, just, that's awesome. it's just this beautiful little. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really cool. I love it. Um, so that's one. The other one uh, that happened recently was 
with the leap of faith movie actually um mm-hmm. i started i got like uh, i got well it's an, it's an hour and 40 minutes i got i got 40 minutes into i watched it have 40 minutes of it with my dad huh. oh wow and uh my dad and i are very different very different people and it was so i mean maybe this is more than a grace note but i mean it it didn't develop the plot, but it, it really, I mean, maybe, maybe it did. I don't know. But, but for me, I just, maybe this is just a cool, I, it was a grace note and a, and a bass note, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it, uh, but we, we watched it and there's, there's so many old movies in it. And my dad and my grandma would always watch Turner classic movies. Um, and my grandma up until she died would always just like had Turner classic movies and all the time in this movie, this is basically a Turner classic movie channel movie, mm-hmm. uh, best of in a, in a sense. Um, but, but it was so, it was really cool watching a movie with my dad and connecting, um, of, around something that was meaningful and beautiful that didn't feel uh, like it had to do with politics or current events or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. It just was a really beautiful, pure, cool thing that I mm. really cherished. So, yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That, that um, works. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Um. So. It's funny, Nathan, because when you asked the question, something immediately came to my mind because I've thought about it ever since it happened. And I pondered, I was like, is that, does, does that fit the assignment? Did I understand the assignment? <clears throat> I don't know if I understood the assignment or not. I don't know if I did either, but, but yeah, go, go where <laughs> but, you want. Uh, it's interpretive. But, um, so here was the moment that came to my mind. Um, as of this recording, about almost two weeks ago, I, uh, I, I finally caught COVID. My number came up mm, and mm. I, I finally, you <laughs> caught it. Finally, ding. I finally, finally caught COVID. COVID. <laughs> yep. It's uh, I caught it or it caught me, whatever, however <laughs> you want to, want to deem it. Um, and, uh, and so I, when I tested positive, um, you know, we, we did everything that we could to try to isolate me from my wife and son. Uh, we live in a very small apartment, but, uh, I sequestered myself into our little master bedroom so that I had, you know, a sink and a bathroom and everything. And I never had to leave the bedroom. My, my wife, God bless her, did everything she could for a few days, for three days, for three full solid days. Mm. My wife would bring food to the outside. She would, you know, I would take it in and I would eat. And it was three days of just feeling miserable and watching TV and sleeping, and that was what it was. But the importance was I was cut off. Through the door, I would speak to my wife or speak to my son, but for three days, I was completely cut off. And again, we would text, you know, my wife and I would sometimes talk, you know, just through the phone or whatever, um, but couldn't see him, couldn't, this was a choice we made. Like, I, you know, I isolated myself. Well, then, this was on the fourth day Wednesday morning, having, you know, I, I caught it on Saturday, knew there was a, a bunch of risk to my wife and son, but we were trying to avoid that and they had kept testing negative. Here's the grace note. Wednesday morning, I wake up 
and I had taken the time off of work because I felt just too miserable and I wasn't going to drag my laptop out and everything. I could have worked remotely, but I was just like, I can't, you know, I was like, I, I just, I'm feeling sick. I'm going to rest through it. Well, Wednesday morning I wake up and when I wake up, it was past my son's time to be at school and I hear him in the living room. And so the first thing that I did was texted my wife and I said, hey, why is he still here? Well, here was the grace note. I text her that. I said, why is he still here? And then they opened my door. And when they opened my door, they were both maskless. They had no, they had no masks on or anything. And they opened the door and they said, surprise, because they had both tested positive that morning. Now, COVID is no laughing matter. COVID is no joyful matter. But here was the grace note amidst everything, guys. For three days. <laughs> Sorry, did not expect to get emotional. It's Andrew's fault. <laughs> it, is, it is your fault. I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> For three days, I hadn't seen him. And I had been praying and hoping that they wouldn't catch the thing. Because I didn't want him to get sick. I didn't want him to get sick. For three days, I had been praying they wouldn't catch it. But they opened that door with big smiles on their faces and they had just tested positive for this nasty thing. But they said, and and my son was a little teary eyed and everything, but there, but he gave me the biggest bear hug that he had given me. And they were like, but we get to be together. We get to be together now. You know, like that cutoff had happened and I felt it. I began to feel it three days of it because I'm very integrated into my family's lives. I really began to feel it. And so even though it was sad and thankfully, if in case anybody's concerned, my, my son um, developed very few, almost no symptoms at all. My wife did get pretty sick, kind of like I did, but but we were both okay in general. And the biggest thing is after three days of me being just completely cut off, the grace note was them opening their, their doors. And there's a lot of sadness, and there's a lot of tragedy to it. And a lot of people's stories where they encountered this nasty thing are not so fortunate and are not so uh, so lovely. But that was what I thought of when you asked me, what's a grace note? It's the image of my wife and son opening the door and me seeing their faces for the first time after three days and just big bear hug from my son and getting to hug and kiss my wife again. And yes, it was, you know, we were all sick and everything, but we were together. And that was grace note for me in that moment. That was, it was something where it was to, to your point, Nathan, it was insignificant as a moment except that it happened right. and it reminded me the beauty and the and 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 the blessing and the and the love that I experience with my family's presence and how it feels to be cut off from that for a period of time unable to engage unable to connect and then a reconnection even when the reconnection is tinted with something you didn't want to happen and how the grace in that moment can can make it a, a kind of a lovely thing and so that was that was my answer to the the no, uh, grace notes conversation. Yeah. I love it. And, and thank you both for sharing those stories and hello birds. I love it. Um, <laughs> you know, Reed, this is ostensibly a, a, a read, a read documentary. Um, <laughs> but I feel like, uh, I want you to either, uh, silently resent or, uh, verbally <laughs> applaud my desire to, to lead this conversation and uh, verbally you know, applause. There, there are one, I was just really in general, you know, there's the didactic, like technical, this is interesting from a creative process, you know, learning standpoint, but also just, um, 
this this will be a a big puzzle piece to kind of weave in here towards potentially leading us to an ending but your story just reminded me of this that you know if, if for a person who um and, and i would actually say even if you haven't watched the exorcist um to this is a worthwhile uh, hour 40 know mm-hmm. that there are cuts of the exorcist in it you will learn all about the, that film uh <laughs> i it was so funny because this isn't where i was going but i was watching it in our room and i had my earphones in and i was like I made to leave the room and my wife was like, no, you don't have to leave. I'll, you can, I won't pay attention. I said, ah, no, no, there's just, it's just too much. You're going to look up at the wrong time and then be mad at me. Cause you won't be able to sleep. So, um, but the film ends on a kind of fascinating note. Um, and your story there just kind of, uh, uh, put it forefront for me and if you all remember the zen garden story freaking tells oh yeah and uh i'll i'll describe what happens and then we can kind of unpack our feelings about it uh or discuss it and 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 maybe head towards home unless there's other things really burning on y'all's minds and hearts but uh uh, freaking tells a story of visiting this zen garden in uh, in Kyoto, that's where it was, uh, Japan, yeah. um, visiting the Zen garden in Kyoto that apparently he's been back to a couple of times because it, it, and I think he, he even cites it as his own kind of grace note. Um, <laughs> but it's this, you know, kind of, uh, just bed of rocks, bed of pebbles, uh, being real reductive in my description here, uh, interspersed throughout the picture, like little islands, little rock islands and how this, this rock garden, and he had this very emotional experience at it one time that one, I, if I'm being frank, I couldn't tell if it was kind of a pessimistic note or nihilistic note or not, but mm-hmm. he describes this real emotional response to being there and kind of entering into the moment of it. And, and the quotes I wrote down, which are out of context, but he says the separateness with which all of us live Mm. And he's reflecting mm-hmm. a bit on Karis's experience and perhaps everyone in the films, all the characters in the film's experience and, and ultimately lands that we are all alone. And it, I, to my to my memory, even he's getting a little, you know, kind of choked up at even sort of articulating the story. And, and it kind of surprised me if I'm being perfectly honest with the two of you, given, given what comes before in the documentary. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't totally have a question other than just to posit this kind of what did y'all think about this? Because for me, I do think it's hard. I think it's hard to, it's mm, uh, the inverse, the reverse it. The easier position to me. And so I'm sympathetic to it because I think it's the easier position is to say, we're all just alone. We're all just kind of adrift. We're all in our own little minds, our own little worlds, our own little orbit. But I don't know that that's true either. And I'm, and I'm being real honest. I'm not even stating that it's not true. I'm not, uh, you know, I've, if I've learned anything in my 42 years that I don't know a whole lot and I'm okay with that. Um, And I don't, why it struck me is as I've pondered it and, you know, like I said, I I wouldn't say leap of faith was 
uh, one of my favorite movies ever, but, mm-hmm. but you know, the content of it, the discussions of it, the notion of creativity and thoughtfulness and meditation on the who and the, what we are as we interact with the who and what each other is like, that was all deeply meaningful to me and rich. And, mm-hmm. and I just don't know, uh, I'll frame it this way. I don't ever want to agree with that. Mm. You know, and, and I would like, and don't think it's just pie in the sky to aspire to believe that that's not a true statement. Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, Um, absolutely. does. Go ahead. Andrew. Um, I wrote, I wrote down, we are all here alone, no matter how close we are with one another. That was his quote. And I wrote beneath that from the movie, I think that the point is to make us despair, to see ourselves mm-hmm. as animal and ugly, to reject mm-hmm. the idea that God could love us. And loneliness is a killer, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a plague <laughs> of itself. And I think we, we experience that a lot in our home. Um, and I think you know, I'll, I'll speak a little bit. Um, I, I think I, I, I shared a tiny bit of this in the afterthoughts, but lately something that um, has been shifting in my life spiritually has been a lot of my spiritual choices in my life have been reactions. Mm. Like, mm. like, this happened, so I got to do this. <laughs> right. Uh, this will make this person happy. I got to do this, right? And um, I think, and maybe maybe this is another reaction-ish, but I think it feels more honest. And what I would say is, um, you know, I, I've I've thrown around the term hopeful agnostic at times, and I know that's. Mm not sat right with people or, or some people have shared like, Oh, I don't come to the same conclusion. And I understand that. And I think maybe, um, and I, in, in the, in the afterthoughts, I shared a little bit about this, of, of that I, I'm an Enneagram four. And I think what I always am trying to do is be as authentic as I can from moment to moment. And it's exhausting. But what I would say is where I'm at as of the last six months ish, maybe, maybe less. Um, and the shifts that have been happening for me is I'm just realizing like, as far as the inner territory that I have been trotting in a non-spiritual sense, I'm running out of land. Hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I, long for something bigger than myself to be held by. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like we are all here alone. I hope that's not true too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think again, read the afterthoughts, but, mm-hmm. but I would say where, where I, where I, where I, where I hope right now I come back to 
I, I, I'm, I'm, cho- you know, it, it's interesting that the, the William Friedkin says he approached making The Exorcist as a believer. Like he said, I, I made the movie as a believer is what he did. And I write music from that place a little bit, I think. Uh, I think I write with a little different voice than how I approach the world maybe sometimes. But, um, but also to say, uh, <sighs> One other one other note I had in here was that the William Friedkin says there's a constant motif of ascension in the film. Like there's always mm-hmm. this going up. People are going up a lot in the movie, and what it kind of felt like in the documentary is there's kind of this motif of descension <laughs> to <laughs> to this eventual ending of we're all alone. Yeah. And and I, I I hear that. And I guess I'm 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 wrestling with that a little verbally right now. I guess that's what I'm I'm doing on 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 air, as it were. But I guess um, I think what I choose to hope in is that there's that, that God could love us, and that we are loved and we are held, and that uh, what my uh, wife and I have said lately is we are lonely, but we're not alone, hmm. and. Whatever that means, <laughs> I, I hope that means that yeah, that we're not alone. I, I hope that, that that I hope that is the antithesis of what William Freakin says here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, and it's inter- It's such a it's an interesting way to end a, such a beautiful essay of a film. Um, yeah, because he because mm. he's obviously this man who has who who knows art he knows beauty he knows all these things um yet maybe just feels very alone and um can create can create art that 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 poses the idea that we're not alone Mm -hmm. um so anyways yeah go ahead i'm i'm I'm, I'm so tapping can i so I've held back thoughts. a lot in this conversation. Can I just <laughs> stretch a little bit? Can I, yeah, can yeah, I stretch yeah, go ahead. and can I go? So this Zen garden, the image, all this combed sand, this, as he describes it, this ocean of combed sand and these rocks that are in these almost little island places. They're surrounded by combed sands, but you sit on the rock and these rocks are separated from one another by spaces in between. What I am going to stumble my way through in these next three to five minutes is part of what I have learned from multiple viewings of the film The Exorcist and part of what I, you know, I have probably read more about The Exorcist than I have read about any other singular piece of creative work. Like keeps getting funnier every single time you see it. (laughs) Then there's that. I know that quote's going to come up every single time I mention it. I've read William Peter Blatty's original screenplay, the screenplay that Friedkin addresses as being, you know, I I, I have a copy in an old beat-up book I found in a library, or sorry, in a bookstore one place. And so, Next to the zombie powder. (laughs) So I've I've read that. I've read William Peter Blatty's thoughts on it over time. I will say, not to completely undermine something uh, that I think is very lovely, Friedkin says in Leap of Faith that he made the film as a believer. He is uh, rewriting history a bit 
to mm. to say that because mm. he is on record multiple times before that uh, saying that he approached it in exactly the opposite way. In fact, and I'm building to a point here. In fact, uh, I have uh, I have uh, podcast listeners will not see it, but I have a copy of uh, the Blu-ray edition of the film The Exorcist, and in it is a little insert with a note from William Friedkin. This is William Friedkin, circa 2000. 2004, somewhere around there. And this is what he wrote. He said, um, uh, when Blatty asked me to write to direct a film of it, I was flattered and humbled. We approached the film from different perspectives. Blatty, as a Catholic who believes there is a supernatural force of evil in the universe whose game plan is to convince us it does not exist, my own approach was more pragmatic, that this is a great story that raises more questions then it provides answers. But our mutual goal was to make the film so realistic that it would be impossible for the audience not to believe it. Over the years, I've drawn more closer to Blatty's belief in the mystery of faith and that if there are demons, there are also angels. So that was read, William read Peter Blatty. Seats. So, uh, but it was, it was just interesting. Like, again, I've read more and, and heard Friedkin talk about this so much and, and, you know, all the different perspectives on it. And so now let me get to, we are all alone. Let me tell you exactly what I thought when I, this is my second time seeing Leap of Faith, but exactly what I thought every time I hear that observation, we're all alone. Um, I thought about the ways in which there are certain places we will have to go that we cannot bring our loved ones with us. Hmm. Um, There are certain places, whether we like it or not, that we will have to go, and it will just have to be us that go there. They will watch us from afar. They will send us their love. They will Hmm. cherish us, cheer us on, whatever. But we are the ones who will have to go there. Journeys of sickness, journeys of death. Um, we will have to go there and we will go there alone. When we go, we will go there alone. And that can be a crippling realization to realize that those surrounded by love, though uh, having the abundance of, of, of all, all manifest connection and all manifest uh, beauty and memory and everything else, when I go to that place, there are some places even before I shuffle off this mortal coil to quote Shakespeare that I will have to go alone work that I have to do on myself, my thinking, the way that I interpret the way that I, the way, and here's the other place that we go alone, that we wholeheartedly go alone. And that is in our relationship with God. We go there alone. It is ours. It is shared amongst a community of experience that pushes and pulls and, and, and cherishes one another, but we go there alone. That journey is ours. My relationship with God will never, 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 never be Nathan's relationship with God. It will never be Andrew's relationship with God. It will never be anybody else's relationship with God. Any way that we think of it, that we interpret it, that we envision it, or the lack thereof, or any other, it's it's ours. It is our own. It is ours in, in, in solitary. But I was reminded of another book by C.S. Lewis. It is my favorite book by C.S. Lewis. It's called A Grief Observed, When He Lost His Wife. And he had several quotes in there. I won't read them all. I'm going to share two. Um, 
the one quote that he wrote down in there is, um, actually, I will share a third one. Um, he said, uh, part, he said, this is true of life. Part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery's shadow or its reflection. The fact that you don't merely suffer, but you have to keep on thinking about the fact that you suffer. And that really stuck out to me in this conversation about solitude, about like, yeah, we, we're the ones who think about our own experiences, which is, again, mm. a kind of a lonely thing. Um, but then this is the second quote. He said, he, uh, he, he's referring to God in this quote. He said, he always knew that my temple was a house of cards, and his only way of making me realize that fact was to knock it down. And the ways in which we build up for ourselves all these things that we would put ourselves into. But the part of that book, of C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, then I'll bring it back to Leap of Faith, and I'll bring it back to The Exorcist. The part of C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, that has always stayed with me is early on in that book, he talks about his wife smiling before she died. And he had imagined in some way that they, that they shared a connection. That they, when she died, shortly before she died, um, that she smiled and she was at peace, that she was at peace with God. And he then begins to ponder about like, oh, if I could just, God, if I could just, if I could just bring her back, if I could just have it again, if I could just, you know, like if I could just be with her again, if I could just share this with her again, all these memories, all these things. And then this is how he ends the book. This is the ending of A Grief Observed. He said, how wicked it would be if we could to call back the dead because she said not to me but to the chaplain i am at peace with god and this is his last line on there he said she smiled but not at me and talking about that moment where the journey that we walk alone like it can be a terrifying thing to realize there are some places where there is no escaping it i will have to walk that alone or the people but we the, love will go on without us alone. But the grace note, they they will they will have their own story. It's a terrifying thought for me sitting in this moment to realize there are things my son will experience that I can't be there for him with. I can I can tell him everything. I can talk to him. I can, I you know I, I, I we say that I say that as a parent. I'm always going to be there for you, son. I'm always going to be there. I know I won't be. I know I won't be. There's going to be things he's going to have to walk through alone. There's going to be things I have to walk through alone. But what we are all alone does not mean to me is it does not mean we are unobserved, that we are unloved, that we are unattended to, that we are isolated, cut off, anything. To be alone does not have to mean completely compartmentalized and disconnected from everything well, else that is happening. Well, Freakin should have said a little bit more at the end then. <laughs> <laughs> Where because were you at the end of uh, yeah. <laughs> the movie? Where was the Time commentary? Here's, <laughs> because, here's the, because here's the other piece of that puzzle is, you know, when that, that moment from The Exorcist that you cited, Andrew, and it's my, it's my favorite moment, it's like, you know, why, why is this happening to this girl? Why is all these things happening? And it's like, it's because it's to make us despair because, and that's the attack. Look at all of the ugliness everywhere. That's the attack. The attack is the, the when we examine the, 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 the evil, when we examine, my God, how could anybody do anything 
like this or like that. That is the the attack. The attack is, boy, we really are just collections of matter and material beasts, aren't we? We are just nothing, aren't we? We are just we are just scum. We are just atoms. We are just all of this. And the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters to say, hey, no, no, no. Do not reject the possibility that I love you. Do not reject the possibility that there are grace notes in the midst of this. And the grace notes are not nothing. And as William Peter Blatty has said multiple times, and as uh, William Friedkin did cite multiple times that he came to believe later in his life, if there are demons, if there's ugliness, the converse is also true. That if there is this ugliness around us, if there is this isolation, the converse is also true. There are angels, there are connections, there is purpose, there is intent. That even if we cannot hide from the reality that that we will walk through certain things alone, part of that leap of faith is realizing that there are other truths as well to it, that there are other smiles that aren't necessarily directed at us and that aren't for us. And part of the grace note, part of the beauty of it is you know, I'll go back to that moment that I cited. It's just that, you know, I spent a lot of time alone in that. And I spent a lot of time just like, okay, I, I'm just going through this thing. But there was that moment of connectedness. There was that moment where the door opened and smiles greeted me. And that's not nothing. That's not nothing. And I think sometimes we have a tendency in our hearts and spirits to resign the solitude of some of our existence as if it is the verdict of our entire existence, that just because there are some passageways that we can't walk through holding anybody else's hands does not mean we are cut off, disconnected, that the connections we have made and the connections we have experienced are meaningless. It doesn't mean that at all. It simply means there are some doorways that we're going to have to brace ourselves to walk through on our own. I or some bur- windows, second-story windows, are going to have to jump out on our own. Hopefully not. <laughs> or there's just a really sad garden in Kyoto. <laughs> right. And see, that's um, the thing. It's like, yeah, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I think it's Brent, Brennan Manning who mentioned something about uh, turning loneliness into solitude or, or the differentiation between the two. Like, mm-hmm. or, or be, being alone... I think I think it's loneliness and solitude. Like one is like really sad and lonely, but the other is mm-hmm. like a, a practice mm-hmm. of that. Um, that's my time. <laughs> but but I think also no. But I think also you know? like look at uh, um, here's what I'm resisting saying, and who cares? I'm just going to say it. Yeah, that space between the rocks. That's the temple of God. That space between the rocks, that is where God is. That space between this, the space right now, this conversation that, that we are having, this, I, I'm sitting you know, in my space where I live, Nathan and his, Andrew, you're and yours, this space that is disconnected and technology alone is what permits us to share this conversation. And ultimately, even though we in and of ourselves are kind of alone in this moment, that space between these rocks, that's that's the temple of God. God is there. Hmm. And I feel like what I keep coming back to in the moment is those grace notes, those those seemingly insignificant things that peek their head up and they say, hey, 
like another, I'll call it a grace note. Another grace note in the film, The Exorcist, might be it might be my favorite moment in the entire film. It's not highlighted in Leap of Faith, but um, my favorite moment in the entire film is after Father Karras has really just lost the battle against the demon condemning him for his mother. And after he has just really lost the battle and Father Marin says, get out, get out, like you, like, you need to go be alone, like just get out. And so he leaves. There's a moment in the film The Exorcist where he's sitting down at the bottom. He is in full despair. He is in just the, the, the depths of sorrow. And Chris McNeil, um, uh, Reagan's mom, the mom in the film, steps forward and just asks him, is my daughter going to die? And he looks up and you can see in Jason Miller, the actor's face, like beautiful acting moment, but he looks up and snaps out of it. He looks up and snaps out of it and realizes like, this is not about me. This is not about me. I'm making it about me. This is not about me. And, and, and then he looks at her and answers no. And then ascends the stairs again. And that is what leads to the final comfort. When he gets up the stairs, he finds that father Marin has died. And that's when he drags the, the the girl to the floor, come into me, leaps out the window. All of that happens. But the grace note in that moment was Chris McNeil reaching out a hand. Is my daughter going to die? And him realizing like, no, that's not. And when we talk about this fear of the aloneness of it, I try to remember for myself is like, yes, I'm sitting in a moment where maybe I am alone. But there's a space between me and another aloneness, and that is where... God resides. And that connecting point, that place where I can reach out across the miles. And you know what? That's that's what happens. William Friedkin made a film, and I can see that film, and at several places throughout the film, something a hand reaches out and touches mine and says, See, somebody else understands. You you write a song, Andrew, and and in the lyrics of that song, something reaches across the miles and something says to somebody else, see? Somebody else understands. We, we deal with these films and we deal with stories and we deal with all these things. And, and people would love to just, as we talked, as Nathan mentioned earlier, to just assign a bunch of metaphors. It means this, it means this, it means this. To me, one of the things that I think is lovely and where I would want to just leave it is that art, that, that space between, space between time, space between distance, space between whatever else is the language through which the Holy Spirit reaches out and says, see, somebody else understands and you are seen you are known and it's that connection it's that space between the rocks that that's where god just moves about and 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 the presence moves there and you can't capture it and you can't contain it and you can't bottle it and you and your any temple you make for it is merely a house of cards but it's real and it's there and it pokes its head through in these grace notes, period after period, to say across miles, across time, across space, through film, through song, through painting, through books, through whatever, to say, see, you are seen, you are known, somebody understands. Alone in this moment, but you are seen and known and somebody understands. That's that's why I keep watching The Exorcist. <laughs> 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 and uh andrew if you'll uh pass the plate on the left i'll pass the plate on the right and uh, but did you like the film <laughs> <laughs> well i'd just say we should take it out back and burn it you know wow 
Wow. So cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> they did, boy, they they did uh trounce that film. That's such a uh, such a misunderstood film. But what's into <laughs> what I do find interesting as my final and very trivial note on it is that over time I have encountered more and more and more people who have either seen the film or have heard conversations about it, The Exorcist, and are beginning to come to a like, wow, it is one of the most it has it has passed the test of time. It is still one of the most compelling documents on the mystery of faith and the confrontation of evil and wrestling and grappling with faith in a very mature way that I think will ever be committed to film. I, mm-hmm. I think uh, you know it's it's absolutely profound. Friedkin, I think you said it earlier, Andrew. Like he'd never get away with some of that stuff today. Mm-hmm. Never get away with some of the stuff that he did. And there are, believe me. You start digging into some behind the scenes stuff beyond just leap of faith. Yeah, like there's a shot in the movie where the the contraption that was pushing Reagan up and down broke and she was really screaming because she was really in pain. And it, it, it's in the film. There's one moment where the contraption Ellen Burstyn was wearing, they yanked it back harder than they should have, and she really got hurt and and they left it in the film and everything. The tactics are are there and they're questionable and they're all that stuff, but the document of the film and the way that it you know, reaches across the miles from time is something yeah, I, you own I still the adore. Blu-ray, man. I do. I have it right here. <laughs> Go burn it, Reed. Right Go burn it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want to throw out just as a, a final note, and we don't have to talk about it if at all, but I was really, again, I just love the idea of listening to people talk about the creative process, especially of significant work, but the, the Karis suicide scene, like freaking mm. talking about, like he literally says to me, it's a flaw. Hmm. So yeah. I've never had to film something I don't totally understand. I can't defend that scene. It was just fascinating. Like we don't mm-hmm. have to go into the ins and outs of it. I just mm-hmm. found it yeah. really, really wild, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of hear that because especially because as we're I- identifying, he had so much control over the actual crafting of the film itself. Yeah. To have that as a, as a, as a retrospective button on that scene is really interesting to me. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. is. He did. He it, ultimately it's in there because he didn't rewrite the novel you know right. like there's really no, yeah. there's really next to nothing different from the film to the novel a couple of little minor things here or there but every major beat from the from the film has its surrogate in the novel mm. um but um but yeah i'm i'm good if everybody else is good we all we all good I'm we want to go to the and we're not alone to yield well, we yeah, might be, to, but we're not really <laughs> <laughs> We walk certain places alone, but there's a space between that connects us all. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and God, wherein we rate films on their scariness and uh, their substance, as it were. Um, Andrew, having yes. curated leap of faith for us, I am going to give you the privilege of starting first, and then we'll circle like a snake all the way around and come right back to you. So, on the fear measurement hey, for Euroboros, leap of faith. Yes, 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 yes. Um, um, so, yeah, on the fear measurement, what would you give it? Fear? I mean, when I first saw it, a 10. I mean, mm-hmm. now... Wait, we're talking about Leap of Faith? Leap of Faith, oh, leap not of Exorcist. Faith? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Not Exorcist. No, yeah, this is Leap of Faith. Well, if we know about the Kyoto Garden. Um, <laughs> no, um, I would say, I mean, I'm going to give it a 3, only because... Okay. There's some shots in there. I'm like, I, I think they're more, they felt a little more jarring just given like, oh, that came out of nowhere. 
mm-hmm. like just just not having any like other two hours of film to to, to not have that in there yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like oh there's a there's a there's a thing going in a thing and the head going around <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the thing. That's that's the one. I think we all know what scene you're referencing. <laughs> yes. So yes, indeed. And I wish I, I'm going to use that moment to, before I give my fear measurement to sincerely say, while Leap of Faith as a film is is lovely and lyrical, it does have a couple. Nathan called it out. Andrew just kind of alluded to it. Um, it has some Metaphor. interjections from the film uh, The Exorcist that are without context from within the film, the exorcist and they are alarming. <laughs> they just sort of break in uh, for what they are. And they are indeed alarming. Um, I am giving leap of faith, this documentary about it. Uh, I am giving it a four. I do think not only for the clips of the exorcist, but also some of the things that he raises questions about that do that, that can, as we've even engaged in this conversation, leave you with a little bit of like, what, wait, what? Okay. So uh, I give it a four on the fear measurement. Nathan, what say you? Um, I will side with our guest on this and go with a three. And just because, again, the form itself is not. Well, let me rephrase that. Um, my curiosity was going to be where we're going to grade on a curve here. But the nightmare taught me that just because it's a documentary doesn't mean it can't be <sighs> scary AF. Um, <laughs> so I, I will give a three um, just because those. I mean, I've seen The Exorcist twice now keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. But, well, well, well. Um, you know, so I even know the imagery, but even still, like there's one, particular, not the one that was just being alluded to, but there's, there's an image I've can't get out of my head the last two days. Like, damn, come it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, even just dropping it in without context is still enough to do a number on you. Mm-hmm. Three. Understood. What, that number what would three. you give it? Yes. Yes. What would you give it for the God meter leap of faith? Uh, nine. Um, I think, you know, even the majors I highlighted, Grace Note, we're all alone, so jump out a window. Um, I know, I wow. know you tempered it, tempered the window. Get it? That's a glass joke. Um, window joke. Um, <laughs> but Grace Notes, the all alone stuff, couple that, fold that in with just creative process, and and I, I yeah, I found that to be a lot of substance. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna join your nine. Um, because I feel like it is, I haven't said much about the director of Leap of Faith, Alexander O. Philippe, makes outstanding films. There's two more that I would briefly recommend. One is called 7852, the number 78 forward slash 52. That is an hour and a half documentary all about the shower scene from Psycho, a deep dive on its cultural significance, its craft, its everything. A film that I would almost recommend even over Leap of Faith is his film about the making of Alien. It's called Memory, The Origins of Alien, and it's all about the cultural significance and the cultural roots of the the alien film but hmm. alexander o philippe makes wonderful wonderful is that a recent release thoughtful. yes within yeah. the last couple of years i, think. I was yeah. just imagining a very old man trying to remember what it was i remember making alien i think <laughs> um, and then just rambling for two hours but no uh, <laughs> as a filmmaker alexander o philippe just may I mean, he's clearly very thoughtful 
uh, and and he makes some really compelling mm. and meditative kinds of, of 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 films, and so I highly recommend it. And, and approaching Leap of Faith and letting Friedkin mm. have his his time to say it, but also with intention, certain intercuts and certain highlight points. Uh, I, th- I think it's amazing. So nine for me on the God meter is where mm. I'm going. It's a very very exceptionally well made film with a lot of thoughtful substance in it from my perspective. Andrew, bring us home. What would you give it on the God meter? I'm going to say a nine, and I also have a question about an exorcist uh, mm. uh, William Friedkin thing. When oh, you get a yes. Second. I will know the answer. Uh, <laughs> Father Amorath uh, movie? Yeah, Father Amort. Mm-hmm. Any good? No. Okay. So, say, saying it <laughs> no. sadly, no, saying sadly, the devil and Father Amort, um, what, what is this, it? First off, I, I, he mentions it, it briefly. Yeah, it is literally a document that's about an hour and ten minutes long, uh, where he films one exorcism and the exorcism itself. I'll tell you one thing that stood out to me that I re- that just kind of soured the whole experience is it is very clear that some of the sound of the film has been a little manipulated. That it's mm. it's very clear that there's some like heightened sound that's going into it so kind of what we've talked about before about like the intent of a filmmaker and you know was it really of the full intention or whatever and william friedkin directed this so even hearing it like that could be exploitative no way well well, and then also like late in the film the devil and father of mort um friedkin recounts a story that in his recounting of it is sensationalized and bombastic, but mm-hmm. we don't see that footage. He just oh, yeah. recounts that story. And so the whole affair feels a bit like okay. misguided. So I do not recommend that. Okay. That's a, a William Friedkin film, but no, I do not recommend that. Okay. Film. Um, so, but on the fog meter, we give leap of faith, William Friedkin on the exorcist, a six out of 10 on the fog meter. And I think, uh, I know where we stand, but Nathan, I'm going to start with you. We're going to let Andrew end it off. Do you recommend it? You recommend the documentary? Well, you know where we stand. Tell me. Uh, yes. Wow. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, yeah. the ever so slight, ever so slight asterisk is if you either haven't seen or don't like The Exorcist, you're not, you know, yeah. you're going to be jarred in a few moments in this movie, in this documentary. But, you know, agreed. That's a, a very casual note. Uh, and aside from that, yeah, it's it's fantastic as a documentary. It's um, fantastic as a thought provoking piece of art. Yeah, uh, I concur with pretty much everything that you've said. Um, uh, yeah, just be be aware if you enter into it that, yes, there's some moments from The Exorcist and. Those moments are are they're alarming for a reason. Um, but I wholeheartedly recommend, with that asterisk, recommend Leap of Faith. Andrew, do you as well? I also concur, and I would also give a uh, other recommendation of another William Friedkin film that's also interesting mm-hmm. called Sorcerer, which uh, oh, yes. is an interesting Indiana Jones-ish kind of strange, complicated, uh, interesting film. Almost like a heist film. Yes, it's uh, in the jungle yeah. about a <laughs> yeah, it's about them driving a truck through the jungle. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Friedkin's a fascinating filmmaker, and honestly, like I, I really appreciated this opportunity to hear him in his own words do his own thing. Um, and uh, Andrew, thank you as always. Like <laughs> people. So sick of hearing me talk about The Exorcist, but uh, <laughs> but there's there's a reason why it's my favorite film of all time, and a lot of it was touched on in this 
very conversation uh, that despite being scary and horrific, I think it has a lot to say about the power of human connection, the power of human resilience. And it is a, I will say this as my final note on this entire episode, uh, that watching Leap of Faith, I was reminded why I'm so thankful for such a gruesome and fearsome film like The Exorcist, because to me, it is such an antidote against so much ugliness to reconnect with the humanity in the midst of everything and to remember, oh, don't reject the possibility that God could love you amidst so much ugliness, against so much fear. Don't reject that. And I'm, I'm just really thankful for that. I'm thankful for films that explore that I'm th- uh, Yeah, in, in, in a multitude of ways. I so. want to uh, applaud you, friend Reed, for your restraint this episode it was so funny listening to our exorcist conversation on one and a quarter (laughs) speed in the car there were moments Mm -hmm. i was like reed is spinning off like a top he is about to just (laughs) exit the room he's in because he is just so excited talking about this movie it was oh it's true it's true next week so um thank you again andrew for this Mm -hmm. yes Yes. next thank you thank you um next week we're going to be going back to something that the patrons had voted for for this series um I am remiss that 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 the director is uh, not at hand uh, for me to cite, but the film is called My Amityville Horror. It is a documentary about the real-life child who experienced the Amityville horror, um, and it's a, a, some interviews with him kind of unpacking a little bit of that and also some interviews with some people who had examined and explored the phenomena at the time. So that is called My Amityville Horror. And that's what we're discussing next week. Also, uh, for the patrons, examine the Cursed Films episode from Season 1 about The Omen. So, watch the episode of Cursed Films about The Omen and the film My Amityville Horror. And we will see you right back here next week. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. And do not forget, do, do not forget that after credits, after the credits that are about right here, a lovely song by our very own Andrew Nelson. And I'm telling you, it is very, very lovely. You don't want to miss it. So thank you again, Andrew, for your contributions here. Nathan, thank you as always for sharing Mm -hmm. this with us. And listeners, thank you very much. We will see you all next week. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody!
anything you like But please don't call it love Cause I've been running most my life Scared as hell that I'm not enough And in the words of a beggar found a homecoming Been sick for a home now I've never seen In the dark a whisper, beloved Suturing the cuts made at seventeen I don't want to fight you, but if I do, I want to lose Every fall be a fortunate fall that I may love and be loved by you That I may love and be loved by you That I may love and be loved by you That I may love and be loved by you That I may love and be loved by you Shadow boxing in my mind with your ghost in the back of a crowded room. Mystery, I'm scared to be numb to this body and blood and an empty tomb. Cause I don't wanna fight you, but if I do, I wanna lose. Fall be a fortune if all that I may love and be loved by you. No, I don't want to fight you, but if I do, I want to lose. Let every fall be a fortune if all that I may love and be loved by you. That I may love and be loved by you. That I may love and be loved by you. That I may love and be loved by you. Loved by you, that I may love and be loved by you, that I may love and be loved by you, that I may love and be loved by you, that I may love and be loved by you, that I may love and be loved by you, that I may love and be loved by you.